Well, Sorry, Larry and I, when we recorded something a couple weeks ago called it Table Jank, and yeah. like all of a sudden, as soon as like I got home, I was like, oh, it shouldn't have been Table Jank. It should have been like Tablecast Super Jankway or something. Like that's clearly the, the, the <laughs> better one. But in the it. spur of the moment, we went Table Jank. So yeah, this is like the RPG yes. Super Design Jankway cast. <laughs> Try to get this started. Cool. Yeah. Uh, should we start by like introducing ourselves, or do you want to just, just ramble the Jankcast thing and ramble into it? Yeah, the Jankcast style is interesting. I wonder oh, what would happen if we tried to do that. I feel like we would just never start. Would be like I, I feel like that's, that's the Jankcast style. Recording things, and this may be the intro. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm at oh, minute bang. ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they have that wonderful technique of just the clandestine start. It's true. That's how I do things. Um, yeah, we don't we don't necessarily ever start. There's like one or two casts where like the cast kind of starts at like minute fifteen. We've tried to rein <laughs> that back in because we got some uh, strongly worded complaints from some people. Oh, um, so we try to rein. So you will note, if, you know, on most episodes of the Jane Cast, it starts with us very specifically, like usually Megan saying, "Like this is a thing we should do. We should begin right. the cast now." <laughs> Yeah, we should say hi. Yes. Yeah, it usually is making too, but uh, I don't know. It works for you guys too, because as as I tried, like, Alex doesn't really listen to podcasts that much, so I tried to explain to her, like, we have to do an intro segment. You can't not do an intro segment <laughs> on a regular podcast. It, it just, it conversation doesn't flow that way. Yeah, so, I think yeah. I think like I really have like a strong detest of small talk, and I have to do it a lot at work. So I was always <laughs> like, no, fucking nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do that. But like, it's just it's like a warm up. Like it's like warming up before a workout. You just have yeah, to like yeah. start saying words before you can. It's true. I mean, role playing works the same way. We don't just jump into like an intense scene. We kind of have true. to do a little bit yeah. to move. Joe and you does. also don't like you don't like walk in the door and you're your character. You know, like there, there has yeah. to be like a hey guys. And well, and well, I agree. I don't really like small talk, especially with people I don't know. I also often either work alone or with one other person who we will just sit there in complete silence and just pay attention to our own things for hours, <laughs> and it's wonderful. Wow, that's that's not very similar to my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that's jealousy or just sort of like I would hate that, but either one. I don't know either. <laughs> So, Jason, do you want to, like, uh, lead us in? you want to bring us in? Sure. My name is Jason Pitt from the RPG Design Panelcast, and this is all my terrible, terrible idea. Uh, I am Alex Roberts. <laughs> I am on uh, the Tabletop Superhighway, and I write and stuff uh, a lot and make games. And I'm Larry. I'm also on the Tabletop Superhighway. I do the podcast. I do other stuff, and it's on the internets. Uh, Todd. <laughs> I'm Todd. I'm from the Jankcast. I uh, 
do the podcast and I write games and uh, yeah. And uh, w- the, the tabletop superhighway and, and the Jankcast are slowly merging into one giant 19 headed podcast. <laughs> We're sister podcasts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking like what would make sense for a sister podcast for the tabletop superhighway is actually one that was another indie podcast that came out about the same time as us. It's from England. It's called the Twitching Curtains podcast. Uh-huh. But they've had like three episodes so far uh, in a uh, year. Yeah. Would you say so, then that we have triumphed over them? No, <laughs> like because they have some great discussions. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of like I, I'd love to work with them more just if that would goad them to make more content. Oh, you heard it well, here, folks. You heard, it, call, you heard it here first, folks. Larry is saying Tabletop Superhighway has triumphed. They vanquished <laughs> them. All other podcasts are inferior. That's what I heard. Yep. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Uh, but yes, we are solely conglomerating. Well, there's only a few like indie podcasts on the go right now. We may as all just become one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, it'll make certain people who hate us their lives so much easier. Yeah, exactly. Sure, you can things. sort of condense that stuff. And also, what could be more pleasant to listen to than 20 people on one podcast? Right, Todd? I was going to say, there have been some episodes <laughs> of the Jankcast that aren't far off from that. There was one episode of the Jankcast where we all sang Bohemian Rhapsody. and uh, That's one of my favorite outtakes. That's amazing, But here's actually. the thing, like, that just happened totally organically. Like, that was, like, we just had that many people. There was, like, nine people on the cast that day. That really makes sense. Like, that's something that I feel like would be hard to explain to, like, an alien. <laughs> like oh well sometimes when a lot of people are together we sing this song no it's not like a simple easy song like row 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 your boat it's like six minutes long and like yeah. there's nothing in it that's repeated and we did, we did a lot of the song it was um yeah yeah we we've tried to rein it rein it in some of that was that was all that was all under under the tyranny of john kelly um <laughs> because john I kelly he started the song because timo was talking he did yeah uh john kelly had this this tendency when he was kind of in charge to just like anytime someone was a good guest host on the cast, to just be like, "You're on the cast now." Um, <laughs> so like we were just collecting hosts until there was nice. like fourteen of us. Uh, we should so. do that. We should like make Elmer Care Boss one of our things, and, and everybody now. we've had on. Everybody gets go. to be a care a, a co-host. Anyway, so, uh, this is all your idea. Yeah, this is all uh, Jason's Jason. idea. You're so already starting to like. Yeah. Uh, tear in different directions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you had in mind and, and what we're doing here? So, generally, I was uh, listening to all of your fantastic podcast episodes and realizing that simultaneously it was very disorienting. <laughs> um, real, I realized that we have a lot in common, specifically that all of us are. Uh, indie RPG podcasters who happen to be uh, digging into game design on our own mm-hmm. um, and are really um, interrogating game design and the game design industry right now and sort of the the deeper uh, aspects of how this hobby is evolving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I you know, I have yet to make a tabletop game, uh, but I think talking about it all the time really, really whets the appetite to do that. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. really makes you want to do that a lot. Um, however, I don't think it helps you actually do it. Really? Yeah. Like, I think um, 
like uh, having a lot of the discussions that we do on the podcast, those have generated so many ideas. Like just the three of us chatting and come up with some so many neat things, and I'm like, oh, I should make a game about that. There should be a game about that. Um, but but ideas are actually pretty easy to come by, and I think the actual process of finishing a game and like like actually sitting down, making it, and doing the play testing and all that stuff, that's so hard. It's yes. so hard. And talking about it all the time does not actually make you do it. And I am I am lambasting myself when I when I say this, but like yeah, it's really. So your thought, Jason, was you wanted us to talk about how podcasting has shaped our interest, desire, understanding of um, basically how podcasting has shaped our, you know, being well-rounded gamer type people. Um, And in a broader sense, also, the things we've noticed from our particular vantage point. Yeah. Hmm. I got to say, Alex, like you just said, I mean, the thing that has shocked me about game design, and you are right, like, I would not be designing games right now. So Megan and I just kickstarted our first game. Tom and I just put out a beta of um, uh, another game. So I have two games that are now floating out in the world. So that's a thing. Um, I would not have those. Those would not exist if I wasn't a podcaster. Like, um, and the reason why for me... Well, let me start with, so the thing that, to, to follow up with you said, Alex, the thing that shocked me about game design is, like you said, how much, the, the all the easiness is up front. All the yeah. difficulty is in the back. Like, which is true for lots of stuff. Like, game design is like, is like moving. Uh, it's kind of like when you pack your house, <laughs> like, you think you're doing really good, and you're like, we've got like two-thirds of our stuff packed up. Like, and you know, we still got two weeks to go. We're all good. And then somehow, like, as the moving truck is pulling up, you're eventually just throwing stuff in boxes and labeling them, like, <laughs> junk and, like, taping it up frantically. Because somehow that last chunk, excuse me, that last chunk takes, like, the most time. Game design is the same yeah. way. It's, like, all the easy, the ideas, like you said, are super cheap and super easy to come by. And it's, like, you have this flurry of activity that gets you going. And then it's, like, the actual, like, turning it into a thing at the back end that is the hardest and takes all your time. Um, but the reason I think podcasting has like gotten me into game design is because we interviewed game designers and we talked about game designers. So like, you know, everyone who's a game designer makes it seem easy and like they're, they're cool, normal people on some level. And you talk to them, Jason is laughing and you talk to them and it's kind of like, Oh, well, you seem like you're having fun. Like I can do that. <laughs> like, so yeah. that kind of, like, it kind of makes you, it, it puts you, it, it, you're interacting with the club. It's kind of like, you know, if you hung out with musicians all day, it's like eventually you'd want to pick up a guitar. Or if you hung out with, yeah. you know, artists all day, eventually you'd want to paint a picture. Like, it's kind of like that when you're podcasting, you're inherently hanging out with creators and talking to creators. And at some point you go like, I, I bet I can do that. I, I think I get how this works. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I I think you're really right, and I think you're picking on um, what is actually really, really good at nurturing any kind of creative endeavor, which is like connecting with other people who do that. Um, so the rumor is uh, among the design community that if you convince someone else to start designing games, you can stop. <laughs> it's a dirty, dirty lie. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like your soul is freed if yeah. you <laughs> sacrifice another. Yeah, it's yeah. basically like no. the ring for game designers. <laughs> but that's kind of been a thing, even in just indie games for a long time, where like it was a community of people where you know anyone who was really into it was almost expected that they were going to start designing or or be designing at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll no, no oh, go ahead, Elks. Um, that's actually something that's really cool about tabletop design, um, like RPG design, is that there's a really um, there isn't a huge distinction between fans and creators in the way that um, uh, that you have is like say in music and yeah. you know even in other stuff like video games. Um, you know, like it's it, it's not like there are like superstars of the tabletop world. Like maybe there are people who are really mm-hmm. successful, but like. You know, they're very accessible. Baker isn't a celeb, you know. He's yeah. not going to like the cover of People, you know. Um, so I, yeah, I think it is really accessible, and it, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of perceived as something that like anybody can do. Well, it's it it kind of reminds me of like punk rock. Like this kind of goes into what Larry, you and I were talking about a couple weeks ago about like, comparing design and, and, and RPGs to music news. I always think of like indie gaming as kind of like punk rock in the sense that when I first got into gaming, it did seem kind of inaccessible because I was playing Palladium games and they had big right. glossy covers and they had like really long books with mm-hmm. lots and lots of rules mm-hmm. and charts. And like, I was like, Oh, I couldn't do this. Like, and I tried when I was a sophomore for a class, my final project was I designed a role-playing game and it was really? like, it was just a mess. Like it was huge. Oh, I tried to give it a big cover and it was crazy. Um, <laughs> for the record, it was called evolution. I thought I was really clever. Um, oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyways. Um, but like w- when you get into kind of the indie games, all of a sudden it's like, Hey, like you said, there's more people doing it. And it has this kind of much narrower distance between creator and audience, which inherently makes you feel like you can do it. I mean, it's the whole logic of punk rock is, this could be you, right? Like when you go to a show, the band is not that talented and they're just hanging out at the bar, like before and after the show and there's no stage and there's no like lighting rig and there's no backstage. Like the the band just gets up. Like, like I, 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 a friend of mine one time described it in the most perfect way, which was like the first time they ever went to a punk show and like they watched the first band play. And then the second band were standing next to them when they watched the first band play. And, like, the second band just walked up into the, like, basically just walked up on stage from the audience and started playing. They were like, oh, this is for me. I get it. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like that. Like you said, like, you know, it's pretty easy to talk to. There's been a lot of people I've met and didn't know they were designers. Let's put it that way. Like, I met Nathan Paletta before I really knew he was a designer. Like, I had met him a couple times just from, like, playing games in and around Chicago. And it was kind of like, oh, here's Nathan. He's this guy. And then it was like, oh, yeah, he also designed this game on Elise. It's really good. And I was like, oh, okay, Nathan designed a game. And then we played it, and it was like, oh, it's really good. Like, (laughs) this is like a fantastic game. Like, Nathan's a genius. But he was just some guy. Like, you know, this genius who designed this amazing game was just some guy who we hung out with. Um, Or Tim Kleinert. Like, I, I met Tim Kleinert a number of times before realizing he was like because he was just Tim. It was just some he's kind of an unassuming guy, it was just some guy named Tim. And then it was like, oh, this is the Tim Kleinert who designed the Mountain Witch. And it was like, oh, oh. He, he, this this guy I know is a friggin' genius. And that kind of thing makes you want to do it because it's like it it the the, the 
the creators are so the creators like said the creators are so demystified in some way that like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's not you like it feels like it very much could be you and 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 the product is so demystified right it's not a big glossy book it's a book that looks like a zine almost right like you could you could make this book on some level mm-hmm. yeah yeah game chef feels like it's good for that yeah and i'm mm-hmm. thinking that one of the bigger aspects in terms of the sort of viral infection that is game design in the indie uh, game design space is that there is a tendency for games to be tightly focused mm-hmm. on very specific and usually very personal subject matter. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, Dogs in the Vineyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it is pretty precise, pretty focused, and pretty unique. Even that's like a bigger game than a lot of them, too. Like, exactly. you yourself put out a game recently, the... Uh, the Pathways one with the... Yeah, Post-Human Pathways. Post-Human Pathways. And that was a very, very, very tightly focused. It wasn't like... I'm sure a lot of work went into it, but the physical product wasn't huge, you know? Yeah. And so um, that that's a barrier going down that much further by the fact that it's focused and you're not trying to encompass everything in it. And because uh, it's so specific, it means I'm not competing with anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, something, Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Posthuman Pathways, as an example, is playing around in a lot of the same space as uh, Eclipse Phase or Shock, things mm. like that. But because the focus is so tight, it encourages other people to look at that and say, hmm, that isn't the kind of game in that general domain that I want. So I'll spin off of that and yeah. do another mm-hmm. specific tight game. I think there's something to that as well in in terms of accessibility, in terms of people wanting to make games, because it's not like you have to make you you have to make the next D and D, right? It's you don't Mm -hmm. have and and also you know once upon a time I think people were really focused on making systems that could do anything, um, which you know on the one hand you can end up with Fate, and then on the other hand you can end up with GURPS, you know, Um, but I think now more and more people are realizing that like if there's something really specific that they think is really cool. No one else is making a game about being frogs, and it's yeah. about the frog mating habits of frogs. Like, no, you can make the frog game. Nobody else is going to do that. <laughs> Sorry, biologist. Um, tempting. <laughs> hey, someone's already oh, done frog sex, but that's a different taxonomy. So, <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, no, another aspect of that too is uh, the the way that they're focused nowadays. There's less of a need for certain design elements that used to take up a lot of work and a lot of space in books, like setting. You know, Dogs has some setting stuff in it, but not that much compared to, say, a Forgotten Realms book, where the, there's an entire large book just setting information. Right, and I think it's uh, at one point. I think people feel like that had to be there. Like if you were mm-hmm. going to make a game, Absolutely. you needed, you know. 4,000 pages of, of Some you know, people the still last 4,000 history. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and no no, sh- no, sh- no, shame to it because, like, I know for some people that's, like, almost more fun than the game is just getting into the in, into the world and into the lore. Um, mm-hmm. But I think more and more, again, when you see a game that is a pamphlet or is a zine or is literally a business card, mm-hmm. that is not actually easier to design or it's not easier to do that well. But it but it does give people this feeling when they look at it like, I could do that, I could make that. Well, it feels auteur, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. 
maybe I, mean, I think that's the word I'm looking for. Like on some level, it feels kind of like I mean the thing I think when I look at a really um, finely focused game is it feels like the work of a single person in a way that it is impossible for D and D to feel like. Use yeah. dogs in the vineyard as an example, right? And I think this also encourages. And I, I so going back to what we were saying about like, you know people kind of like you know Vincent has a thing in dogs in the vineyard where he talks about like. Yeah, if I remember correctly, either either I've heard him talk about this or it's in the book. I can't remember which one, but one or the other, how personal of a game it was that it had to do with like his religious upbringing in a way that just something like D&D does. Not that D&D doesn't have people's fingerprints on it. Obviously, it does. But it's clearly a project of many, many people. And it feels like a project of many, many people. Right. It's kind of everyone's game. But I think one of the interesting things about doing a podcast and interviewing game designers is hearing the things that motivate them and realizing that it's also the, th- you know, realizing that like the, the things in your life, you know, I think of, of role-playing games as a sort of art almost where it's like in the same way that like, if you were, if you have an issue in your life and you could get it out by writing a song about it or by whatever, I always think designing a game is a way to get things out. So it's like, you have a particular interest, you write a game about it. You have a particular issue, you write a game about it. Like when I'm bummed out about something, like the first thing I start doing is thinking about how to mechanize it, which is weird probably. And I'm sure other people <laughs> would think that's strange, but like, you know, when I'm frustrated by my job or something, like one of the first things I do is wonder if I could design a game about this or something like that. Yeah. Um, and when you see all the games that kind of have a much, much, much tighter focus and when you learn how people came to make them, I think that puts a thing in your brain that, that, that makes you go in that direction. Oh, absolutely. And I really I appreciate what you're saying about about the like an auteur approach to games and the idea that that a game can be an expression of yourself and not just not just a product and something that you make, but but something that the process of making it does something for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although that is a kind of a curious thing because you talk about, you know, if you're if you're having something that is negative in your life, you look for a way to share that negative experience with other people. <laughs> well, because you because know? you want to be understood and you and yeah. people don't like to feel alone. You know, I think that's the next why. Step, yeah. yeah, I think the next step is to is for Todd because he's he's a sociologist. He'd be good at this type of thing. Maybe get together somebody who's got a bit of a psychiatric background and find other games that you could engineer where you could get un- unknowing people to inflict these these feelings on other people so you can <laughs> kind of share the game with the world as its own viral organism. It's called social yeah, scientific experiments. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, go on there, Alex. I just wanted to put, put that leaf in the wind there. How can how can I torture other people with my with my shit? How can I make people go through my shit? <laughs> well, it's funny. Um I th- I think when it comes to a lot of, um, you know, art as a way of dealing with your shit, right? Of, of writing a sad song because you're going through a hard time, or um, so, some of that is expression. Some of what, that's wanting to share it, but it's also a way of understanding things and making peace with things, yeah. um, and and mechanizing that, like you say, like trying to find, is there a way that I can replicate this experience through rules or like um, simulate this experience through rules? Um, that's a way of like of wrapping your head around something. Which, if you're going through something that's scary and that's overwhelming, like that has that's a very strong appeal. The idea yeah. that that you can then make it into something. It's kind of like conquering it, because like, yeah. in all seriousness, like so in um, sociology, sometimes we call it me search, um, <laughs> because so someone put this to me beautifully once. A, a, a colleague of mine 
at a, a different school I used to teach at, um, she studies families and in particular she studies divorce. Um, and one time we were talking and she was like, well, you know, we're all just doing me search. Like, you know, my parents went through a really messy divorce that like scarred me for life when I was a little kid. And now I study divorce, go figure. And she's like, and I was, I was, I didn't even put that together until after I'd been doing it for a couple of years. But, you know, I think you find that with, with a lot of academics that they study things that have affected their life either directly or indirectly or things that like have touched their life or things that they are at the very least fascinate them. Like you've like every once in a while, I'll meet an academic who studies something where they have no skin in the game, but usually those people are careerist and weird. Um, most people study stuff that they have some kind of like, you know, personal stake in. I think gaming is the same way. It's like a way to, it, like when you are frustrated about something or when I am frustrated about something or when I am joyful about something, on the other hand, when I'm just like really into something like it, like it, it, you want, it's the same impulse that makes me want to study it academically also makes me want to design a game about it. It's kind of like, I want to see how all the parts fit together. I want to understand it. And I almost, like I said, I almost want to conquer it. I want it to be like, you know, I get this thing. If I can quantify it, then I get it. If I can, you know, see it from top to bottom and write about it, I get it. If I can mechanize it, I can, I get it. And then once I get it, I feel good about that. Right. So well, it's kind of a strange thing, but yeah. When you name something, you have power over it. Right? Yeah, when yeah. you know the name of something. Uh, yeah, I just, I have a lot of friends in the field of psychology and like, that's the biggest in joke. Cause I like everyone who studies psychology is out of their fucking minds, Yeah, <laughs> you know, or like has had some kind of struggle, like, you know, they can say it, but um, has had some kind of struggle there because like, and it seems, it seems weird when you say it, but then like, well, why, why wouldn't you like, why would anyone study something that had, that they had no connection to or interest in? Right. Yeah. Like, why? yeah. Um, uh, sorry, Jason, you're, you were going to say something. Um, don't want to cut you off, but, um, one of the things that I think it's fascinating to see the upsurge in sad games Mm -hmm. uh, in our community. It, it like there, there's something there. Um, and it's definitely on the sociological level. <laughs> uh, but I think there's also a good portion of this as preparation and training for empathy. Um, for instance, uh, I just played in a game of the Warren not too long ago where I was playing a, uh, Pregnant mom who lost all of her uh, kids, hmm. eight of them. That was kind that of terrible. Uh, I I'm never going to have that experience. I I know that I'm never going to have eight baby bunnies of my own. <laughs> but having that experience gives me a bit of training and gives me an opportunity to learn more about this kind of tragedy so I can help work with other people and contribute to the people I care about. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's sort of an empathy that. training engine, um, taking advantage of the strengths of role-playing games. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's something, there's something to that too, right? Like role-playing games aren't like an empathy dispenser that you get. And you're like, Oh no, I have empathy. But, but I like that idea of like training, like now I'm on my way. Now it's, now it's put a bug in my ear to think about something that maybe I wouldn't have thought of before. And I think where some of this comes from like being a podcaster is 
so there's this weird treadmill you have to be on when you're a podcaster. We're coming up on 200 episodes. Wow. And that's just 200 episodes. Thank you. That's just 200 episodes that we've named. Like, because we don't count our APs in that. We don't count, like, a bunch of random episodes that we do and then go, like, eh, don't give it a number. So it's really probably something where, I mean, we're, we're probably hitting close to 300 soon. That's a treadmill. Like, that means, like, we have to come up with new topics. That means, you know, we have to keep finding out about games. You just simply can't do, oh, let me take that back. Some podcasts just talk about the same game over and over and over. They talk about D&D, you know, endlessly or whatever. We don't like to do that. Like, you know, we try to find new games. We try to, like, hype new designers. So it does mean kind of keeping your ear to the ground in a way that, like, I didn't, you know, in before I was podcasting. Before I was podcasting, it was kind of like, and I think that this is what a lot of people do. You find the one or two games you like and you play those games. Right. Um but being a podcaster forces, at least me, and I think this is true for other people on, on my cast, and I imagine for lots of other people, it plugs you into the community in a very different way and gives you a different relationship to it. Like like I take as a podcaster in our tiny, even in just the tiny little corner of the gaming world that we occupy, I take my role as a podcaster seriously. And I don't think it's my job to just kind of sit on my laurels and go, you know, well, I'm just going to say the same thing over and over again. We try to find new things. We try to figure out, you know, new ideas. If we were wrong, we want to go back and correct that. If we can come up with something interesting or if we come up with something that people haven't heard of yet, that's great. And when we can't do that anymore, maybe it's time to stop. But that to me means I always am hearing new ideas and always finding, and I'm stoked to hear new ideas. Like one of the first things I think of when like I have a new gaming experience or play a new game or hear about a new idea in a game is I can't wait to cast about this. So it puts you on like an information treadmill in a different way than I think when you're off it, which I also think pushes you towards wanting to play around with those tools in a different way that I think is, is kind of compelling. Yeah, yeah, on the treadmill, the uh, the guests are, are great for that, I find. Yeah. You know, like, I'm running out of ideas. If we want some new ideas to talk about, have somebody on who has new ideas and you can discuss with them. It's also why I realize that every time I join you on the, the Jankcast, you're like, so what do you want to talk about? Yeah. Because that <laughs> means you don't, have, you don't have to tap your list of available ideas. <laughs> but, That's yeah, nice. no, it, it's true, though. I, mean, I, I felt this, I felt... At least uh, comparing the podcast with whenever I did the video series, I found the video series I did asked so much more of that from me because I was the only person working on it and I put something out once a week. Yeah. So every week I had to have something fresh and I had to have a couple minutes of, of content and just like it was it was a job almost. Yeah. And weekly release schedules are painful. Um, yes. So yeah. my own podcast for everyone who hasn't heard it. Um, literally consists of uh, uh, role-playing game design and publishing-related seminars and panels. Yeah. This means mm -hmm. these are already recorded. I'm right. just doing the introductions and posting it, and it's but that's important stressful like, for it's me to work. get that yeah. out weekly, let alone actually producing original content. Well, let me ask you, Jason, what is, like, doing that has that well let me ask you so you put out a thing and i was really flattered by this i was at gen con a couple of years ago and you would like put together this i think it might even been a cd or a, a, yeah, yeah. a, a disc like basically of like 
gaming resources and like you just handed it to me and i was like oh cool and i went home and i, I didn't know what was going to be on it and i put it in my computer and some of the things that were on it were jank cats and i was like it was like one of the first times it ever dawned on me that like we had an effect on people it was, which but we've been doing it for years at that point but i had this 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 moment where i was like oh like jason listened to us and then was like, oh, this is interesting, and now he's circulating ideas that, oh, okay, I had, like it just had never quite dawned on me that like someone might take what you're saying and have an idea. So like, what, like, how has like being this curator and this archives of these ideas, how has it shaped your design or your thinking about things? Well, one, it's the realization that everyone is specialized in their own particular ways and has their own idiosyncratic skill sets that are just fascinating. Um, for instance, Jeremy Keller, amazing video editor, and his skills on that are fantastic. Um, you've got, uh, you get to hear from all the editors and find out in depth where they bring their specialty into game design and how that Mm. informs their own design. And all the publishing challenges. I mean, just hearing anecdotes of here's the n- nightmarish situation that I had to deal with, uh, and here's how you should avoid doing this uh, yeah. is incredibly useful. For instance, something I don't think I've ever podcasted about or talked about. So I produced a game that's on pamphlets. The right. realistic minimum offset print run size for books is 1,000 units. Realistic for pamphlets is 2,000. I did not know this. I assumed pamphlets would be like books. Yep. (laughs) And the only way to learn about printing shit like that is to experience it. Exactly. So, I mean, just the sharing of anecdotes like that is fascinating. Um, I think it's... Sorry, you can finish. I just said something. Um, the, the other half of it is I was curating content for myself for a long time. And right. then I realized that the only reason why I have access to half of this information is because I had the economic means to be able to make it to Gen Con and Dreamation and Metatopia. And I wanted to make it a little bit easier to pass along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, and it is great. Things... There's lots of them I've listened to that I was really happy that were online there. Yeah, and I, I think probably the people who were on the panels were really happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I think I think you know doing things in this kind of uh, this really like auteurish, really like do everything yourself approach to game design that is like that is almost the definition of indie game design. Uh, you need that more than ever. Like especially in that situation where you are expected to like to print and fulfill and mm-hmm. and do your layouts and like people are just doing everything themselves and that's that's a shit ton of like really specialized skills so I think that kind of sharing of information is is so important. Yeah, well, that's been going on since the forge. That was kind of the idea in the first place was to have people help each other. 
And of course, now we've come to the point where Jason now knows about uh, brochure printing, so he can share that with other people, so they can yeah. make a game on one brochure and put it underneath people's uh, windshield wipers at like GenCon <laughs> or something. I was going to tell me what you what you all think of this. I also think that one of the things that podcasting has done, and I don't think it would do this for everyone. I think this is in part a quirk of my personality, is it's actually made me a much more inclusive, democratic person in some ways because. Mm-hmm. I, in other words, I almost think I was more opinionated and like forceful in my opinions and like forceful that like I kind of knew the, the, the right one true way sort of ism before I actually started listening or excuse me, before I actually started podcasting in some ways, because very quickly I learned that like when you are when you kind of present yourself as having the, the one true way, you're going to get some hate mail. Um, <laughs> yeah. And some yep. people thrive off that. I don't. I'm the kind of person that, like, and not not in the sense that like I get hay mail and I I crumble, but more in the sense like I get hay mail and it actually makes me think. Like I actually read it and go like, oh, so this thing I take for granted as like the one true way, there's this whole other person out there who probably represents many 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 other people who aren't writing in, who thinks I'm, you know, completely wrong. Who thinks what I said is 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 just bananas. So. Like very quickly, I learned that, you know, and I know, I know Timo's had this experience, too, because Timo was even, you know, more forceful than me at the beginning of the Jankcast. Very quickly, we both learned that, like, when you say this is how it is, someone writes you and goes, no, this is how it is for me, at least. And what that has done is kind of endlessly give me an endless appreciation for other people's points of view in a way I don't think I had before. Which has kind of, I think, made me almost a bit hippie-ish in like my view of gaming, <laughs> where like I have kind of become much more like there's a game for everyone and everyone can have fun. And you know, one of the, the I, I can't remember if I've ever said this before in the past. One of the, the most profound things I think I ever heard that that, that that's this is kind of reminding me of is um I remember watching my favorite show of all time is Mystery Science Theater three thousand, and I remember watching um some interviews with the uh, the people on the show. And I think it was, it was Joel. I think it was Joel um, Hodgman. And uh, he said, you know, we never asked ourselves, will anyone get this? We always just said the right, someone will get this. The right person will get this basically. Um, and I remember thinking that that kind of narrow casting was sort of beautiful. And I think that's kind of what having this endless stream of kind of, low level criticism all the time from doing a podcast gets you. It's kind of people going like, well, this is wrong and I don't like this. I like this is it's kind of made me realize that there's this never ending supply of people who want different things and think different things and get different things out of gaming. And as such, you can't design a thing or make a thing that appeals to all of them. So you're better off just kind of making a thing that appeals to you and someone out there will hear it or will see it and will go, oh, this this appeals to me, too. And that's kind of a strangely beautiful thing that you make a thing for you, but then mm-hmm. somehow that connects with all these other people. Yeah, yeah. it's very uh, satisfying. So, sorry, I just want to say that, like, I I really, really appreciate the handful of emails that we've gotten um, about about the tabletop superhighway that have been super critical yeah. because it is really refreshing and it is really like constructive. I mean, it, you know, no one's been like mean or harassing or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really constructive to get to get an email from someone who's like, 
hey, you know, you were cracking jokes about this, but it's actually it's actually cool, or I actually have an experience that's very different of it, and yeah. like that's really it's enriching, and it's something that I wouldn't get unless I ran my mouth off on the internet, which is what I do. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've gotten to the mass yet where like I think you need to become big enough to get what Todd was specifically referring to as like the people who like it's not just that you have an opinion they don't agree with your philosophy on gaming is what they're challenging because i think we're too we're small enough right now that the people who are attracted to us are the people who more or less agree with us yeah and yeah. you know you've got to get bigger to a certain point and also obviously and mostly the, the, us too we only get we get very little like i would say like you like your existence is wrong kind of. <laughs> you must have gotten some of those whenever you guys changed tracks though yeah because yeah. early on you were a little bit different and yeah. then your your opinions started to change so i can yeah. see that being a thing uh, I actually ran into this the most when I did the video series. Yeah. Uh, that because that was you know where I first started to interact with the community in this way, and uh, it was also the specific community that I was interacting with because there is a community of people who who do vlogging about about role playing games, and it's almost all very traditional modeled people who do that. So I I dealt with it that way, and exactly like Todd says, I kind of. Uh, Kind of had a more magnanimous, magnanimous approach after a while, where I'm sort of like, okay, I'm not gonna, not gonna talk about what you know might be a more passionate opinion upon my part. I'm going to kind of step back a little bit and just kind of talk about things in more general terms and be a little bit more inclusive in all ways. Yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> like I, I can feel it happening, but I'm like so not there yet. So I hope that I do get there. Like I'm, I, I look forward to that, and I, I look forward to having that like. Um, really like a um, relativist <laughs> approach to gaming, where it's just like, yeah, people just do it. However, uh, I'm still, I'm still full of, full of, I have fire in the belly with many opinions. But you know, in some ways, it's, it's like I am the stereotype indie gamer in some ways. I really am, and I think I've gone through the full conversion process, where it's like <laughs> I was, I was a quote-unquote trad gamer who quote-unquote saw the light and quote-unquote became fervent and, you know, became super, like, narrativist biased person that, like, the, the in the real gaming, you don't do dungeon crawls, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then had enough people kind of smack me upside the head and say, hey, man, sometimes I like a dungeon crawl. Like, what's wrong with that? And me not have a good answer to that and, and, and realize that, like, and th- that it's kind of given me a renewed appreciation for other styles of gaming to the point where like now some of the design I've been working on, it's not stuff I I think I'm probably going to push through to fruition, but some of the stuff I've been working on just kind of for fun um, has been a much more kind of gamey style games. Like I was trying to come up with a game that um, this, I might actually try to push through if I ever, if I ever, you know, um, don't have something I'm, I'm working on that's taking more of my time, but I was trying to design a game where you could take a deck of cards and make it into a dungeon crawl. Um, uh, so it's random generation. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It'd be like a roguelike. So like it'd basically be like a bunch of different, and it'd be a roguelike that like a roguelike RPG, a tabletop RPG that anyone could could make. Because the idea would be the book would basically be lots and lots of charts of what each card means. Mm. So um, I know how you love charts. I, I love charts. So, <laughs> but like, have you, know, you th- have you considered using a tarot deck? It's a little bit more evocative. You know, I'm actually working on a game right now. I, I never used a tarot deck before. I'm working on a game right now that um, is using a tarot deck. I hadn't thought about it for this particular game because I kind of liked the idea of it being something you could play with mm-hmm. just a regular deck of cards. 
Um, and that people could then make. So, like, anyone sitting at home could be like, I like this game. I'm going to make my own chart. I'm going to make, yeah. so, like, I'm going to come up with a chart, and like, you know, in the, here, here's my quote unquote module. Um, mm-hmm. And it'd be super gamey. It would just be like, you draw a card, oh, Ace of Spades. That means um, consult the chart, goblins, and you roll some dice to fight the goblins. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a game that has a tarot deck right now. I hadn't thought about that, but that might be kind of fun for that, for that too. But yeah. I know that you're thinking like everybody has a deck of cards, but yeah. I'm sure there's a phone app for a tarot deck. Oh, I bought a tarot deck because I actually found one. This is totally true. I'm making a Western game that uses a tarot deck, like a surreal oh, cool. Western game. Um, so I found a Western tarot card deck that's got like pictures of cowboys on and stuff. Very cool. I, I own a tarot deck as well because I do tarot readings for Halloween because they're fun. Oh, really? Larry, Larry made a game that uses a tarot deck. Oops, cat out of the bag. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, for oh, Game yeah, Chef that, one year, I read yeah, it. Yeah, Game Chef one. Yes, yes, yes. I did did do that. I don't remember if the if the tarot. I think the tarot deck is still in there. Anyway, I haven't looked at that one in a long time. I forgot the tarot deck was in it. But yeah, no. Uh, where are we going with this? Uh, you're talking about yes, uh, conversations about, again. Yeah, how your mind gets expanded when you talk to when you don't even know who you're talking to. Like that's the thing about the podcast is that yeah. you just talk, and it's like, well, whoever decides to seek this out and hear it is going to. Yeah. And um, I, re- I hope that tape, you know, role-playing games are such like a weird, tiny niche hobby that we're just not big enough to really splinter. You know, yeah. because as much as there is like, you know, trad gamers and indie gamers and story game or whatever, we all have to go to the same fucking convention. You yeah. know, because it's just like there's just not enough of us to just have, you know, your niche within a niche within a niche um, mm-hmm. convention. And I, I think it's really cool... That that the hobby is just not big enough for us to splinter into our sub interests too far. That that when you go to a convention, you know, like a lot of conventions are even like games in general. So you're there with the board gamers and the video gamers and the LARPers and the tabletop and everybody. And I think like that's that's really positive and I think that kind of cross pollination is really important. And I hope that I, you know, I wouldn't want to make something that was just for people who completely agreed with me, yeah. you know, because um, yeah, it would almost, you know, it's just like, what's the point, right? Yeah. And also, like, we, we do sort of a little bit end up talking within our own circles because there are oh, some yeah. divisions, especially in the Internet. And that's I, I almost think that that's kind of a, a, a small detriment of the whole podcasting thing is that. As guests, we have people primarily on who are making the games that we're interested in or involved in the game community that we're interested in. There's there's not a lot of, uh, you know, a traditional, let's say, a an OSR podcast talking with somebody who plays a, like, the newer games talking with somebody who plays indie games, etc. Like, you don't often get all those people yeah. into one conversation. Uh, it would probably be very valuable if you could, although you'd have to pick the right personalities, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I've had heard the occasional um, Ron Edwards and James Raji talking uh, podcast yeah, recordings. Yeah, I've heard those too. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, those barriers are an issue. Uh, I do like some of the. There's some edge podcasts that move out of our little circles. Uh, for instance, tell me another. Uh, yeah. is a fantastic oh, yeah. podcast that does reach beyond our little bubbles uh, far more than a lot of the other ones. 
Uh, yeah. Absolutely. What, and yeah. That sorry, that's like Joshua T. Jordan's whole bag too is mm-hmm. is trying to trying to expand from where people get their inspiration, right? Because I, I hope everyone is as sick of games that are based in that are like Tolkien or Star Wars or you know like maybe William Gibson if you're going to real fancy. Yeah, um, yeah. Josh Josh Jordan is all about like. Okay, how can we? Let's make games. Let's be inspired by things that are totally outside that realm. Sorry, go on, Jason. Sorry. Um, I I'm just wondering, are there any other good podcasts in that who fit that criteria that people could think of? Would, uh, gaming, but um, beyond our little bubble that we no, all individually yeah, sort of fall into. You know, I, I feel like Fear the Boot pushes their boundaries a little bit now and again. You know, like yeah, they they're they're very traditional, but they they do have other voices and they do kind of expand their ideas over the years and accept new things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Idle Red Hands is kind of in a mid ground too. Uh, other than that, like unfortunately, I don't know podcasts that are out there as well as I'd like. Sometimes this is actually what I like to talk to Todd about whenever I visited. Like, what podcast do you like? I've never heard of that one. I've never heard of yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, uh, I, I, listen, I, I listen to very few. I listen to Gamers Table sometimes, which is a bit more um, quote-unquote tratty, but also uh, willing to expand their boundaries. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the casts I listen to have pod-faded. Uh, Walking Eye... Um, okay. Alright, I think... To me, ultimately, what, I, what I'm hearing out of most of this is the the overall value of this, especially, uh, I mean, Jason, you you uh, are exposed to things in a different way as us, uh, the way that you kind of record things, although they're often panels that you're a part of. So to say that you're not involved in regular conversations about gaming is it would not be correct. Uh, this the, the podcasting kind of forces us to regularly engage the topic to kind of, as Todd talked about, search for new ideas, uh, as as Jason talks about to kind of like look for ways to share things and and to get to get different opinions from people kind of from a wider area and to me I think that that's the ultimate value in this you know you you can you can turn that into a tool set you'd use toward design and it can motivate you toward design but just regularly having these conversations and just you know the push for content if nothing else is is I think to me the greatest value that we get out of out of podcasting ourselves in terms of understanding it as a hobby, because there are other yeah. intrinsic rewards as well. Yeah, and I think in terms of uh, motivating you to do your own stuff, I think it, you know if you want to be a painter, you got to go be where the other painters are and hang out with them. If you want to be a musician, you got to be around other musicians. And I think if um, if you want to be a game designer, you got to connect with other game designers. And I think it's it's harder to do than a lot of other hobbies like music or, or art, um, just because there's so much so fewer of us. You know, like you don't even necessarily have a meetup of game designers in your town. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, podcasting is just kind of a funny. I feel like it's almost a side door. Like I feel like I'm sneakily uh, <laughs> getting to know all these uh, like cool designers and people who whose work and uh, and whose thoughts on things I really admire. I, I, I still feel like I'm just tricking everyone into like, oh, you know, now I get to talk to this person. Um, here's the dirty oh, yeah. secret: I'm tricking yeah. everyone. <laughs> oh no, Jason tricked us into being here and yeah. talking about our notions. Everyone thinks I'm a game designer for some reason. I don't know why. 
<laughs> social and is inherently a dialogue and and podcasting or just anything and blogging whatever it is is something that that forces you into the dialogue and then that is going to be a part of getting you active i would argue mm-hmm. yeah. and and i think the podcast more so than than say a blog or even my my video uh series there throws your hat over the fence because you've got other people that you're doing the project with because yeah. I, I don't know any solo podcasts and I don't think they'd work very well. Uh, by working with other people, it forces you to keep at it and forces you to to talk about things regularly and and express yourself in a way that at least one other person can give you feedback right away and whether or not they understand what you're talking about. Yeah, and ideas come from that too. Like Like ideas come out of conversations that I don't think would ever come out of like you say if you were just writing a blog post uh you know like how many times on our podcast has like good or bad an idea come up where we're like why isn't there a game about that there should be a game about that you know yeah for sure cool fantastic so um does anyone have anything that they need to plug for instance uh i don't think that some of the uh uh vlogs have actually been specifically named yeah, oh, everyone yeah. go watch Emergent Play. That's yeah. Larry's very yeah. cool and fun video project. Yeah, for people who are looking to learn a little bit about, about uh, theory, I, I think what this kind of goes back to what Todd was talking about a little bit before, uh, creating something that you yourself would want, uh, the, the way that he was talking about MST3K. Yeah. I created a series that I would have wanted if I if it had been around a year ago, but at the time that I'd done it, kind of a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, other than that... Think about it, that's how we met. Like I, I just yeah. taking that for granted this whole conversation, but like that's how we met, and that's how I met all of you. Actually, is through doing this podcast that I do, not from yeah. You know, there's no other reason I met you. <laughs> I think I true. think that's what we've revealed inadvertently is that do a podcast uh, not because it's fun or because it's inherently rewarding. <laughs> Ignore that. It's just a, it's just a way to to get a foot in the door and meet cool people. <laughs> for game designers. <laughs> exactly, it's a secret secret technique yeah so yeah everyone uh everyone who's listening to this go listen to the rpg design panel cast because like seriously i think that's amazing work that you're doing like that kind of archiving and that kind of like uh that that curation uh is is really undervalued and it's something that like Mm -hmm. so many of those conversations could disappear yeah, and like there are things like, like I love going to a good panel at a con, but I can't always even go to the con. Sometimes even though I'm there, I can't make it to the panel. But it's it's yeah. great to to have that there. Yeah, and yeah, make that accessible. On a related note, um, for anyone who wants to get in on some of the sweet panel action, um, Metatopia is fantastic. That's where I get the vast majority of my audio, um, and those discussions are exactly like this. But even better, uh, with <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Yeah, uh, so Metatopia, I can't speak highly enough of it. Cool. So yes, uh, and I, I could tell everybody to go listen to the Jankcast too, but everyone already listens to the Jankcast. So yeah, yeah, there, there's that. I don't even need to mention that. The, the Jankcast probably has more listeners than us two combined, plus one video <laughs> series. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we have no idea how many listeners we have. <laughs> If someone told me it was 13, I would be like, sounds about right. If someone told me it was Uh, 7 million, I would be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you say so. Between those two numbers, we have no idea how many listeners we have. Because it's so weird. Like, that's the weirdest thing to me. Why is 
finding out how many people download your podcast so hard. There's like no aggregator of that whatsoever. Yeah, you know what? The, the actually the guy who does Night Vale, like Welcome to Night Vale, was talking about that once, and like Night Vale is a pretty popular yeah. podcast, like if not one like one of the most popular podcasts well, out there, and he's just like, but I don't know. Like a lot. I guess we're bought a lot. Like he doesn't. You could yeah. probably find out how many subscribers you have on iTunes or something like that. But I don't know if per country, like per country, yeah. per country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the uh, the program I use as a as a host tells me how many downloads they have, but that's that's not actually that accurate because yeah. uh, one one source might download it and then distribute it within their their district. One ISP. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. So, so and I, I, but you know what? That's good because getting like people who do like web comics that I've talked to, like getting obsessed with how many page views you're getting and oh. like getting obsessed with your numbers, like it will just drive you insane. It's not <laughs> fruitful. No, it's a yeah. pleasant surprise every time we find out anyone listens to us. Like <laughs> there yeah. were literal years where we thought we were just like screaming into the void, <laughs> and then like someone would like would come up to us at Gen Con and be like, oh, hey, I like, I like your podcast. It'd be like, oh, we have a listener? Like, we didn't know that. Like, for all, for all we knew, zero people were listening. Yeah, I was shocked the first time I was recognized in person for, um, for my work. And here's the giant callback. Yeah, so that's my exact, exact experience in game design and game publishing. I don't know. Um, I heard Todd talking about running Spark. And my jaw dropped, and I was so happy because that was one of the few points of data. <laughs> You're like, somebody's playing it. We've played two sessions. Yeah. And we're having fun so far. So fantastic. You have you have, you have a point of data. Yay! Two points of data. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess with design, you have really no idea. You just you just like, especially something digital, they just go out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and like, even if you know how many people buy your game, you don't know how many times, like, if they've played it, how many times, with who, you know? Um, yeah, so I don't, for all I know, my own games could have been played 20 times or 2,000 times. There might be 20 yeah. session long campaigns that I've never heard of. <laughs> Ten years from now, you might talk to some people like, "Yeah, we've been playing this like multi-year campaign of the Spark." Yeah, yeah. Still going. Yeah, the, the advancement you know breaks do? down after start... session forty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start emailing all the designers whose work I like and be like, "I just played your game. It was great." <laughs> they would love that. They yes. really would. Yeah, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a point of doing that. All right, Can so screeching into the void. Podcast? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's the, yeah. Go tell a designer that you really like their work, because you'll probably totally make their day. Yeah, absolutely. And then yell into the void. <laughs> yep, screeching. 